guys, welcome to episode three of One Book, One Film, One Song. This week we're speaking to Ed Crisp, who has kind of, he's bringing two very interesting things actually, yeah. isn't he, yeah, yeah. this week to us. So Ed, Ed talks about a food hall in Sheffield, which is a community space centered around food and has recently um, reacted to the COVID-19 crisis. And also tells us about Delicious Clam, which is a venue in Sheffield um, and kind of very grassroots, isn't it? He's They've kind of created it from nothing. So I'm really excited to hear about that as well. Actually. Yeah. And we talk, we talk kind of extensively about kind of DIY music and DIY spaces and the importance of, of that in 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 today's society and why it should be valued more than it is really. Um, so it's a really... Mm-hmm. And it's just a really interesting conversation. He's a really interesting guy. His picks are really good as well. I enjoyed his choices. Yeah. As always, I didn't know the film, but I think everyone just needs to get used to that, don't they? Yeah, that'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, enjoy the conversation, everybody. We'll, just, we'll fade in. We'll fade in now. to have you what have you been up to how are you this week i'm okay yeah uh, i've had a bit of a quieter week working um but yeah just classic working not much else uh is this that food hall you've been working at there yes yeah so um generally working from home but i've been doing a lot of uh like picking up food and taking it there because i've got a car and nice yeah <laughs> have you had much um of a difference recently ed or have you still been quite busy so um yeah f- the way that food hall kind of generally operates is like completely changed because um how it usually is is like a, a communal eating space and a cafe using like generally like surplus food from supermarkets but given that we obviously come open the cafe and we've kind of had to limit that aspect doing like mainly food parcels and like some prepared meals and yeah like we set up a whole like warehouse and distribution thing like really really quickly Amazing. and um yeah it's been it's been pretty nuts and that's been like basically it, like it's just been growing like to the point where we were like okay like this is all we can do like we're delivering like sort of 30 to 40 parcels to like over 100 people mm. like every day so yeah, it's been like hectic as hell, but yeah, like really, really good. Have you seen much of a relax recently? Um, I mean, the sit like the city in general is like relaxed, like everywhere. But um, you know, like the, the the people who sort of like need what we're providing, like they essentially need much longer term kind of help than we've ever really intended to like or like can physically give, yeah. like. Yeah. we're not a food bank like it's 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 meant to be like a communal eating space uh yeah so it's it's been pretty mad and now we kind of like we've we've sort of like filled a hole where like other services can't maybe can't necessarily like help people and so that now it's like right well we've really like like dove in on this whole thing and now we're like how do we responsibly like, <laughs> move on from this now because we're like yeah it's like a peer and be like hey don't worry it's fine and then like three months later like oh shit yeah we can't (laughs) keep doing this kind of thing so yeah 
Or did we tell you we can't keep actually doing <laughs> Well, yeah, that's the thing. So it's uh, like, you know, great for now, but then it's, you know, how to how to ease out of that without essentially just like pulling the rug from people's feet. Because the food banks aren't, well, I don't know if what's happening in Sheffield, but where I work, um, we're still relying on guys like you rather than on the actual food banks because they're still not open, are I think they? a lot of them, yeah, like a lot of them shut like quite early because they had yeah. some issues like... You know, the amount of people they could have in the space and I think the impression that I got was like there's a lot of kind of uh older people who mm-hmm. volunteer their time in those kind of places and like obviously a lot of them may be sort of at more risk so there was like this bit where we we're like at some point someone was like oh by the way like these food banks are sort of going at least for, for a bit and we sort of kind of felt like we needed to I don't know take up a bit of the strain in a way but I mean, the interesting thing is, like, we don't, there's no means testing involved with food or it's literally just, like, if you ask for it, you'll get it, is, like, completely open arms kind of, mm-hmm. um, yeah, policy, which um, just means that, obviously, you're going to have a huge, huge demand, like, which is, you know, and every time we have, like, yeah. a really busy day, we're like, hey, yeah, we had a great day, like, we fed, like, this many people, and then we're like, oh, actually, that's really bad that we have to do that. Yeah. That's so, so sad that that many people yeah. need extra support. I was just going to say, just to give a little bit of background, you're, so you're based in Sheffield, Ed. Um, I don't think we'd mentioned that yet. And <laughs> you've been kind of, yeah, pretty, let, yeah, we can talk about the other stuff later, but in, as food, food hall as an organisation, like, how long has that been going? Because I remember when I was knocking around, it was, it was, <laughs> it was going there or had just kind of, so we're going back, what, five years ago I think, now? It I think just... five years is about right. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. In the, in the space that it's currently in. And um, yeah, I've only just started working there in February. <laughs> just straight yeah. into like, you know, I meant my, my job role is like uh, events and activities. Had loads of great ideas and I like had, I was really excited. It's like, yeah, 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 this is going to be really fun. And then it's like, oh no, like cancel that. Uh, we're actually doing something completely different now. Yeah, there, were, there won't be any events. We're just getting food yeah, people. Won't be any of that, which arguably I think is, aside from my own kind of interest in that, which is like, you know, my my job role, to me, like that place is all about the community that kind of surrounds it. And it feels really mm-hmm. weird that we've kind of lost an aspect of that because you kind of have to. Like the nature of the yeah. pandemic is like, right, well, everyone everyone stay at home I don't know it's really like yeah it's really odd community like looks different doesn't it because I think I heard a lot of people talking about like a loss of community or like um people like the community wasn't as visual was it but I think what's been amazing and what I've kind of seen from the organizations that work with the families that I support is that the we've just made a new def- definition of what that community looks like so it is guys like food hall being like right cool people can't come to us it's not an immediately accessible community now so we're just going to widen what it looks like and kind of get out there in it and I think um it sounds like you've adapted amazingly enough yeah and the same with like you know communities that are sort of setting up local mutual aid networks and like you know people like really helping each other out and Mm -hmm. I think where we sort of fit into that is you know we've been like collecting all this data the whole time and we can actually overlay the maps of like where we're helping people versus where the maps of like the mutual aid networks are 
like generally you can see the divide and you can see that like yeah generally we're sort of filling a lot of those gaps maybe there's mm-hmm. like sort of high levels of deprivation in those whole areas which is why you know we're kind of stepping in um which doesn't say that like other food mm-hmm. banks don't exist in that area but like like I said they're stretched as well like they can't take on loads of people and like yeah and i think there's less i think there's people who now need food parcels and need to access food banks well, you've never had to before and there is sadly such a stigma thing and there's a similar kind of organization in um, manchester to what you guys are doing and families seem loads happier to access that because it's a much it's like that thing of it not being means tested you just um this one you just send the name and the address and a bit of a demographic information and i think um there's something really good in that in terms of it feeling accessible to people who might like sadly feel quite ashamed as well have you noticed that is it kind of people who maybe wouldn't think, have had to access i think it's fair to assume that um so we also operate like a helpline kind of thing so we set up it's essentially like a um an answer phone message and they leave it and do some details and we have volunteers who ring them back doing that from home and <clears throat> it's like I haven't done that role for a little while like I was doing it a bit at the start and it was like it was quite nice because it felt like you were able to like you know chat to people and engage with people and sometimes mm-hmm. those people just wanted to talk to someone on you know a as voice, much as yeah. they were looking for um, help with food um but yeah I'm sure that I'm sure there are plenty of people who just you know like who are in like really weird sort of uh, tenuous employment or like cash employment or whatever and they've just like just been left like right that's you now like you know and there's Go there's a lot of support yeah. for a lot of people and then there's like no support for other people and you know it's it's like it's a really fascinating but also really horrible kind of thing to live through isn't it like yeah <laughs> seeing how it affects people but i think this is gonna go you know, this is going to be one of those things where it's like it's going to get taught in history lessons, isn't it? Like how we survived this. But saying that about um, it's a lot of people who haven't been getting the support, there does seem to be, I mean, at first, loads of pe- different people were kind of going, well, what about, you know, freelancers? What about zero-hour contractors? And they seem to be, everyone seemed to be getting caught by some kind of net, but then talking to people i mean some people who even i work with have just slipped through so many cracks where like there's this guy that i work with who he's he's like a, a bank staff at the college but he he does most of his work is like graphic design but he's nearly retired so he does like 40 percent graphic design a little bit of this so he can't get the he won't get furloughed from the college because He's just zero-hour bank staff, um, and they're they're not kind of allowing that because they think, you know, if we do need him, he's got to he we can just call him up. So he's not getting furloughed, but also he's not at the threshold of self-employed where you're getting support as well. So you know, if I and there's I know a couple of people who've done the same kind of thing, that people working in like the arts and stuff, and just have a little kind of part-time thing on the side and. If I know two or three people who are who have slipped through the cracks, and you've got to think like, how many people are there out there who have just slipped through these cracks, and it's just like don't have the support that they need or deserve, really? Yeah. And like you said, Charlie, like um, like some people 
don't like asking for that kind of thing like some people mm -hmm. may feel like embarrassed or they may feel like yeah they they don't want to kind of ask for it or whatever and so there's like all of these different holes that people can drop through um and yeah it's just shit <laughs> <laughs> it's is, it is just shit. Yeah. Um, so I suppose then, maybe for the listeners, we could paint a picture of a time before all of this <laughs> craziness happened. Um, uh, could could you paint a picture of of what food hall usually looks like if we're not in the midst of um, a global pandemic? What's what's food halls? role within Sheffield what's what does it do um but yeah I mean I've not you know I've not been there that long mate. um <laughs> <laughs> but you've been you've been yeah I've been you've I've been, been involved, involved yeah for sure uh, for a few years haven't you yeah it's it's really interesting it's it's just this I think people have this perception of it that it's like sort of um like a soup kitchen or like you know um that kind of service where like it's actually the, the whole kind of idea behind it is like it's just a space for everyone to be equal like and that's yeah like the vehicle for that is food which is obviously just such a common denominator it's just like you know i think people are very used to socializing over um drinks or like over music um but food hall kind of creates a space where anyone can socialize over food um there's no kind of barriers to that there's no contribute what you can so that might be money it might be um like cooking like a bit of washing up whatever um and like everyone who engages with it is is sort of actively encouraged to be part of that community and like in, engage with it further than sort of like it separates there's no like separation between sort of like service user and service provider where it's meant to be super super equal and mm -hmm. yeah. um so that's like their core activity and then obviously they have quite a big space and they have um a stage and they have a pa and so they run all sorts of different events like some private hires um a lot of like cultural events that people come to them and put on but it's really interesting it's just like super diy um and that's that feels really weird to then have a response to this pandemic now is like that everyone's like well i don't know what to do like and you're just finding your way through it in a very in a like yeah, as all you, diy kind of organizations so it's like well you're just sort of like making it up as you go along and like mm -hmm. as, like hopefully there's enough people there who know enough about lots of different things to be like this is this is good this is bad and so yeah it's a really it's a really interesting project it's a really interesting space what what's what's the kind what's the um the the ethos of I was reading about it. Is, is it something that they call it? So so she. What's it? Um, they, it's on their web, it's on their website. Right, I'm gonna have to. Edit, I'm gonna have to edit me a bit here. But it's something like um, so social socialocracy. So nothing's done on kind of like um, kind of majority rules. Everything is just done a cons on a consent basis, and it's run. It's run that way, so it's not like this amount of people agree to it. It's just everyone's just like gives consent. Have you found it, Charlie? What's the page saying? 
Yeah, come on. It was really, it, I found it really interesting, and I hadn't I hadn't heard of it before. You were right. Sociocracy. 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 Yeah. There you go. Well, you you had me there because I hadn't I hadn't heard that word. So uh, <laughs> you, you really tripped me up. Yeah. Did they not mention? Yeah, yeah. They're not mentioning that in the job interview. <laughs> if, I, if I was doing if I was doing the interviews, that would be. Do you know what sociocracy is, then, mate? How do you feel about sociocracy? <laughs> yeah, great. Thanks. Love it. Brilliant. Sounds, sounds pretty dumb. So the, if you want the definition <laughs> for the listeners, we run a co- collaborative system of governance called sociocracy, also known as dynamic governance. It's a system of governance which seeks to achieve solutions that create harmonious social environments, as well as productive organizations and businesses. So it's about consent rather than a majority voting and decision making. You you call it dynamic governance, don't you, Ed? That's where you were getting... Well, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's how where we the... got you. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I've actually, yeah, got a different way to myself. Oh, you um... mean dynamic governance? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got you. Got it, got it, got it, got it. <laughs> oh, it's great. I can't even remember the question now. Ah, oh, so shocked. See, right. something like that. Uh, Char- Charlie's given us the definition, so don't don't worry <laughs> about it. But thank, it, thank God for that. Yeah, um, it is. It, if you get a chance to go at some point, Charlie, it's it's a really it's beautiful space and kind of I've had some really yeah really magical kind of nights there and you do feel um, just walking in the place you you feel a part of something and you feel and it's kind of that you know I mean I'm sure there might have been at some points but if there's whenever there's been a night there no one's been a dickhead no one's been a no one's been a prat. Because nice. everyone's yeah. just like has total respect for the thing and what they're doing there and like why it's there and it's there for a reason. So I feel like you sort of get that in like a lot of uh, sort of quote unquote DIY spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That you, you, I feel like you generally find that people are there over like a shared kind of, uh, you know, a shared feeling of responsibility for the space. And like, yeah, it's interesting. We can talk more about that later. Perfect segue. Um, I was going to ask Ed if there's going to be um, now that things can open a bit again. Are you going to get a bit more scope to do some more events? Is that uh, you got some upcoming plans, or are you kind of all focusing on the food stuff for now? Yeah, I mean, interestingly, like I've barely done my actual job at all. Um, <laughs> so, like, I have thought about that a lot um, because. Yeah, that's what my job is meant to be. But um, it's just so hard to know, really, because although things are kind of relaxing as far as the government are concerned, I think a lot of people are sort of not on board with that. Yeah. And us included. I mean, obviously, for the time being, the space is fully occupied as a as a kind of warehouse. So, um, yeah, I those two things are kind of incompatible just purely on like a logistical basis like we physically can't do both of those things at the same time um so we're sort of looking at alternative spaces and uh, maybe having like a second uh location to maybe start doing some of those things but i mean personally the thought of like socially distanced events just makes me feel so anxious and like i just don't think it's going to be nice you know people are still talking about when music venues are opening like pubs are going to be open you're like but what is that going to look like and is that going to be at all fun like because i don't think it is should we should we crack on with the first choice i suppose 
Yeah, we're, we're meant to have yeah, some. To the format. Yeah, we're meant to have some kind of formula here. Um, so <laughs> yeah, Ed, what what is your what, what do we go with first? I've totally forgotten. Book, isn't it? What's your book? <laughs> book, yeah. Um, <laughs> We've done two. <laughs> so I'm not a big reader, and I kind of like. I, I basically end up thinking about all of this way too much. Like as soon as you asked me, I was like. Oh, Right. Like, <laughs> it's, um, it's a really difficult question. What, what made Quite an anxiety inducing yeah. idea for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think the external factors are that have uh, contributed to your very being here right now, doing what you're doing? <laughs> but put it into three <laughs> yeah, yeah. bite sized parts, please. <laughs> you know, we, people, people, spend, yeah. people spend like a lifetime in counseling searching for that. And I'm asking you to just put it in a book and a film and, and a song. Here we are. <laughs> um, yeah, this is um, so it's Handmaid's Tale, which I'm sure everyone's familiar with. Can't remember who it's by. Margaret. Uh, Margaret, Margaret Atwood. Atwood. Margaret Atwood. Yeah. That's good. We said it at the same time. Mm-hmm, yeah, cool. perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think I think it's just the first one that sort of popped to mind. Um, it's one that we studied at school mm-hmm. and interestingly like I went to a Catholic school so it felt Rock just on, really like kind of all right <laughs> yeah yeah I'm carrying on the Irish theme from last week <laughs> wow, with a nice Guinness uh, in hand nice Guinness in hand yeah uh, well I thought this was maybe going to turn into like one real ale one book one film, one film <laughs> yeah. it did nearly <laughs> and actually we don't know what everyone's drinking this week and I have felt a bit uncomfortable about <laughs> yeah. it so thank you Ed for bringing it back to what it's truly about thank god um, oh, it's on the punk IPAs yeah oh uh, lovely yeah. little red wine over lovely. here um all right let's get back to the yeah, book then yeah, 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 yeah sorry. sorry that was my, that yes, was my yes, fault yes. um I always found it kind of hilarious like learning about I don't know kind of a dystopian kind of realm that has real real like heavy religious kind of um themes running through it and like being at a catholic school and just being like this is just quite funny isn't it like you know like you've got this you're, we're reading this like we're learning about this like same as like you know being later on in school and doing theology and essentially just being told like how the Bible was a big lie. And you just look like... Yeah, yeah. Been, look I've where we are. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but my, like, and, it, and again, like my, my secondary school was actually a Catholic science school, which it just... Again, just like, mine was as well it was a catholic school but which was specialized in specialized in science and it's just like i don't know if you really yeah. i don't know if you've really kind of thought this one through guys because science is kind of disproving everything that you're telling us in the other lessons um so yeah science is really on your side on this one yeah yeah although a lot of really big physicists do end up being christians don't they because i've heard this my physics teacher actually told me this at a level said that lots of um like really high up physicists who've done it for years and years just end up being religious because they're like there's i've got no explanation for this so yeah that's that thing of like the more you look at something the more you're like well this has to have been designed so like it's perfect yeah i think i think yeah just our existence is just so so statistically unlikely isn't it and yeah but also i don't know i I already i went in not really believing in 
God or religion and came out like really, really, really not like being like quite actively against it. You know, it was really weird, like going to that school where I was one of four people from my primary school who went to the school and every other person there was um, from like a Catholic primary school. So everyone like knew all these prayers and, oh. and it was really jarring because I got there I was like, what? Like, why do you know all this stuff? Like they like, I don't know, didn't like it. Being excluded because you don't know the right prayer. It wasn't that, it just it, it had like a cult kind of vibe. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah I you know, not like a cult as in, you know, cool cult films, like cult as in murder. Yeah, cult. yeah. I, I I can see from from both perspectives, if if you're getting there at age eleven, not you're not used to people just reeling off these prayers that just seem ingrained into their memory, which they are. I can still like reel off like the Our Father and Hail Mary, and it's just like it's just. I was going to say, Sam, were you a prayer knower or a prayer newbie? I feel like prayer knower. No prayer. I went prayer to knower, yeah, I went to a Catholic. Knower. Yeah, he's a prayer knower. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, I yeah I went to a, a Catholic primary school as well. Um, yeah, I'm as my my upbringing was as Catholic as they come, really. Apart from Prayer apart Noah. from like the um, like Noah. the homophobia and all that kind of stuff, there, yeah. there wasn't really much of that going around. Um, but yeah, it, I had a pretty Catholic upbringing. But going back to uh, Handmaid's Tale and saying about dy- the dystopian kind of future that it's supposedly set in i int- i i think this is definitely true so um <laughs> but i once saw a quote from margaret margaret atwood saying that everything that happens in the book has already ha- has mm-hmm. already happened in history so people read this book and they yeah. they're like oh my god like this is this is so unbelievable this can never happen we must make sure this this never happens but actually it's, it's all already happened so that, that's mm-hmm. that's always that's that, what i found about interesting about that book as well is that it's just kind of people are just not in touch with actually what is going on in the world and has already mm-hmm. happened in the world that people just think that's so unbelievable when i mean a lot of those stuff are, are happening in like world in societies today yeah mm-hmm. i think that's the thing about those kind of um yeah, like dystopian, like those kind of books and films and stuff is that it's all really, really believable. And like, it doesn't surprise me at all. Like, that she, yeah, she was just like, that shit happens. Yeah. Like, and, and I feel that like, it's really fascinating with, um, I find that kind of thing really fascinating. Like, I really like Black Mirror, although I, I struggle to watch it because it's just so real. It's like, yeah, <laughs> feel that. Um, yeah. And re- like, I'd I'd mulled over having uh, Watchmen as my book because that's a kind of similar, like very different, but like kind of similar vibe where um, it's sort of set in real life where there's just a few things that are slightly different and makes it absolutely insane. Yeah. You know, like, um, yeah. I think they're books that um, that's not like a... Um prediction of the future it's like a, a, as a book I think it's a mirror mm. in a way isn't it and I think there's like feelings in it and like um like sentiments especially kind of from the women in it that you think uh, that isn't a sentiment that I am very far away from feeling like some of those obviously not like it's it's deliberately quite extreme but there's definitely bits in it where you're like I felt that like I know 
it's not a dystopian like future or it's not like very far away mm. is it mm. and i think um i haven't watched all of the series um but i have we did you compare it with 1984 red when you did it at school no we just studied it we studied it like, yeah so we did it as a kind of comparison and I remember feeling much more like creeped out by Handmaid's Tale because I was like, that does not, that feels like it could happen tomorrow. You just, all you need is a weird revolution, weird government. And then, you know, when they go and they're like bank cards stop working mm. um, and they talking about how the revolution came about. And she's like, yeah, one day women couldn't have bank accounts anymore. So all their bank accounts, and that like really, I remember after I read it, like every time I went to the ATM being like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> because <laughs> it feels like you're like a thread away from it doesn't it which I think is why it's a um, <clears throat> good choice because it's it's kind of a reflection as well isn't it as well as a lesson maybe from her yeah I mean even in America like you you look at the kind of hold that um, like fundamentalist Christian views have on mm -hmm. basically the whole society like access to um, like sexual education mm -hmm. and like you know access to healthcare and stuff like there's a lot of like elitism in America and there's a, and yeah, there's like, there are, there are like blinding kind of like comparisons with real life. And I think that being a teenager as well, when you sort of like, you sort of get to the point where you're like, everything is a bit fucked, isn't it? Like everything is a bit bad. And then you read a book like that and you're like, yeah, that like, this is like, yeah, everything is a bit bad and this yeah. could happen. Like, yeah. And then how do you come back from it? <laughs> you don't. don't. You're 29, still think everything's a bit fucked. And then you, yeah, and then you find out that it is a bit fucked. Yeah, so everything is a bit fucked. So I suppose you learned that, well, yeah, as we all probably do in our mid to late, mid, mid to late teens. In English A-level. Yeah. God, it's such, a, it's such a time, isn't it, where you're like, oh my God, the world is fucked. But how, so knowing the world is fucked, has that, here we go. Has that had an effect on <laughs> how you've kind of chosen to live your life then? Because you're mm, you're a person nice you're a person who you I would say you're very you very well known in the in the DIY scene, shall we call it. You were in um you're in Best Friends. <laughs> um and you so when I'm quite actually we are I don't know if we've we probably have at some point but what what is the kind of timeline of you moving to Sheffield did you move to Sheffield when you were 18 so straight out of straight out of school or was it a bit later and then how soon after that did kind of best friends form as a band um so I, I went in 2009 when I was uh 19 because I'd stopped in Loughborough to do my art foundation and so um yeah, I had like an, an extra year of being at home and like absolutely pulling my hair out. Mm -hmm. You know, all your friends have gone to university and you're like, God, like I'm 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 still here, like desperately want to get out of here. Um so yeah, I, I came in two thousand nine and I feel like it must have been either like the first or second year of uni where we were I think it might have been the end of the first year of uni and we and we'd like start playing together. Um I lived next door in my halls to Tom Roper and he knew Shaman from uh, essentially like being at shows in uh, Norwich. I think they both love Black Lips. So they'd like been to shows before together. And then uh, Jack was on my course, which was graphic design. 
and yeah we just sort of I think it happened quite quickly and in yeah in our second year house in uni we had like a practice space in our basement which you know in retrospect must have been really really annoying for everyone else <laughs> <laughs> like at the time you're like this is great yeah, like this yeah. is so much fun. That age, like, early 20s like, you just don't do not realize how much of an arsehole you're being not. to everyone around you <laughs> like, that's so incredibly annoying <laughs> um and yeah and had the same in our in our house in third year it was even even bigger and that's where we had like some house parties and house shows and stuff which was really really fun um yeah and like again like had the basement practice space and being at uni you just have so much time on your hands Mm -hmm. at least I, i feel like i did i think i don't necessarily think i engaged with my course as much as i probably should have for like something that i'd signed up to to do for four years um i was much more interested in uh well you know partying and playing music and stuff but it always it always seemed to me that it was there was a diy kind of ethos from the word go with that kind of um i always hate the word scene but i can never think of a better word that you kind of cultivated in sheffield and like what yeah and because I, because when I when I met you guys through through our mutual friend Danny, I was kind of not really aware that that the the idea to me that you could just do it yourself and you could just start your own band and you could just start your own record label and you could just do whatever you wanted and make your own space and just do it how on your terms was just so like mind blowing for me. It was just like what was was that kind of was there a realization like that for you or was it did that develop naturally as just kind of that's just the way that things always were i think that's kind of the feeling that i got generally with any shows in sheffield um like people just using like really weird spaces for gigs there was you know not huge amounts of like purpose-built venues and i think it was in a time where like every pub would have bands on all the time which is really exciting mm-hmm. uh, lots of music happening all the time which meant you like met lots of people which was great um i think i think the like the real turning point for me is i remember like i met owen adams from uh heebie-jeebies and then sort of they changed their name to mad colors <clears throat> mad colors yeah, great. Shout, shout out to <laughs> owen what an absolute legendary person shout out owen adams played a few shows with uh heebie-jeebies and i like, met lots of other bands that were active at the time uh vd dollars shout out yeah uh, the chair um a lot of those kind of bands who we you know we just got on really well and like really loved their music and um the first sort of real bit of recording that we did with best friends was owen adams had uh the heebie-jeebies practice space that just had you know loads and loads of microphones in uh Ron Adams is a Sheffield legend and also like avid, just like music gear collector. So he just has like an incredible collection of old microphones and old gear and stuff that uh, Owen had set up in their studio. And he was like, you know, I really like you guys. Like you should come and record. Like I'll record you. And you know, it was obviously really flattering, but also like, you know, how much is how much is it going to cost? And he's like, nothing. Like I just want to do it. Like, yeah, that's what it is. Like, and he he always sort of used this phrase at the time that was like, 
he was quite like i don't really like the term diy i think it i think more accurately it's like dit like do it together because like none of those things are really like isolated it's not just one person doing it themselves by themselves it's like everyone is contributing to everyone else's kind of and again for like for want of a better word the scene yeah 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 it is a community and it is yeah and uh, and and it is as strong as yeah and one one member of that community is only as strong as the other members um together as a whole really if if everyone's doing one person does well everyone does well through it because that's kind of the the community that they've um cultivated for themselves and yeah yeah you're right do it do it together totally let's start um let's start um and that, yeah that really a petition stop calling diy <laughs> diy call it <laughs> dit so selfish talking about yourself all the time <laughs> so then i would like to hear how that kind of became because we haven't spoken about um about the venue that you and kind of recording studio have now have we so how did that kind of um quite like very kind of doing it in your house and like going to people how did that then become like something more solid and you actually had a place so I think essentially what happened to us was that um we we moved into um our fourth well our sort of the fourth years in Sheffield my fourth and final year of uni we moved into our house did the same thing set up the basement practice room the neighbor was just not having it at all and we were like right well looks like we're gonna to have to find an alternative then and just spent the next sort of couple of years or so just um you know hopping around a few different practice spaces and like and then you know being like what so we have to pay for this and like you know, all of a sudden you're like, oh my god like um so yeah like we made quite a lot of music in that time but obviously it was you know people had just come out of uni were working quite a lot and um yeah it, it, it just felt like making music quite like in an isolated kind of way and we we moved around I think a couple of times and and the same with Avida Dollars I think that they got kicked out of their practice space and moved into tie-dye tape space and I think that kind of how how it came about was like I remember talking to Callum and just being like you know how good would it be if we had a space that we could just set up and, and record and we could share it I think we were sharing a space with um, another band and sort of struggling to get time to practice. And we were like, like, how good would that be? Because we were both interested in like that kind of side of things. Um, and then a little space came up directly below. Tide. This is Callum from Avida Dollars, isn't it? Yes, Callum from Avida Dollars and, you know, countless other bands currently. <laughs> <laughs> at, the, at the time. Uh, yeah, Callum, aka... T- turtle's breath but yeah at the time uh so yeah like we got this little space and we just kind of you know again like we're both quite into the act of diy i mean like home improvement style diy so we're like mm-hmm. well, yeah we could just make this like good we can make it into a practice space because it's just a crappy little office like with a tiny little room next to it and that was kind of that was it we just got as many kind of microphones together we got friends who also like wanted a practice space and we're just like if we all chip in we can share this space we can share a lot of our gear we can make it really cheap for each other and ourselves and Mm -hmm. you know we can record like we can we can just do it and we um yeah we just did it we just got 
got a really cheap little room and just that was kind of kind of the the starting point for that and that was just born out of like an, a kind of interest to, to like be feel a bit more self-sufficient in that way like have the ability to record even if it's not you know quote unquote like studio quality mm-hmm. like just having that ability which would help you make more music and it and yeah it's kind of it and then it and so it it but it snowballed so delicious clam is kind of what we're talking about now and it's but it snowballed from there really didn't it as in so that space you're describing there was the space that i originally came into it with um danny Mm. and ben and we formed a band with callum as well and there was kind of a lot of that kind of no one was just in one band like a lot of people (laughs) were in everybody else's band but then we got booted out of that joint didn't we after a good few years good couple of years I feel like it must have been a couple yeah so yeah Sheffield Council um kind of gave it was it was like a month's notice was it Ed but that's kind of been more of a, a theme of an ongoing kind of tirade <laughs> against anyone doing anything productive in a, in a space that was cheap and they just wanted to make more student accommodation or something like that absolutely they they Sheffield City Council does not have a good track record for um I think like um someone was telling me that it's like well known for having bad town planning um which doesn't surprise me at all like you look around there's just like oh, there's a massive roundabout here when there was you know this used to be like the trading center of the city like blast this road through here because we need bigger roads like when you start to look into it you just feel quite sad because you're like why have you done this but um so yeah i mean so the 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 space itself was uh privately owned by um like a big a, a huge like property company in sheffield and they they gave us a month notice which you know was perfectly legal like perfectly within the tenancy um and they were like we're gonna you know we're gonna demolish it like that day like the, or the day after so you have to get all your stuff out and if not, we're going to charge you all this money and like you have to be out of there. And then obviously we left in a massive rush, like put most of the stuff in my house, which just you know completely ruined my house for the six months in between. And um, yeah, um, I think I, I think I was sort of kicking up a fuss about it basically because there was a, a very slight aspect of heritage, but there's also this bigger kind of you know idea that there's no protection for any kind of establishments especially like DIY um, venues and like studios and stuff because they're just not they just don't have any any value as far as any like any sort of council or like anyone who's counting coins like really knows but like yeah. to anyone who does know those spaces and like is involved in those communities those spaces are really, really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we had that conversation last week, didn't we, about artists being like the most useless um, job from that Daily Mail article. That, yeah. And I think what you're saying is really like, yeah, it's not like financial capital, but like think about your, I hate the term, but like cultural capital, like think about all the brilliant stuff that's coming out of there, but who, A, why are we trying to measure it? But also B, why isn't, if we're measuring everything, why isn't someone measuring and that? And interestingly, like, at what point does something go from being essentially worthless to being 
worth loads of money. Like, yeah. it's the same as like people need those spaces in which to practice and like mm-hmm. to, to practice their art or like whatever it is they do. They have to have somewhere to be good at it. You know, you have to have grassroots music venues because you can't just have arenas because arenas, those yeah. people that like that is where things start. Like, things start at a grassroots level. So it just, it really felt like they just didn't really give a shit. And, you know, we, we went to the council, whoever, like we desperately looking around and being like, what is there? What is there available? What, like, where can we do this thing? And yeah, they didn't really obviously give a shit. Like we, you know, we'd been around for like a couple of years. Interestingly, they still don't really give a shit, but that's a different story. But like, I kind of kicked up a bit, a bit of a fuss and was like, petitioning the council because I was like this is an old old cutlery works and mm-hmm. you know, there is very little in Sheffield uh there's very little evidence of its kind of history in terms mm-hmm. of you know people like Steel City, Steel City, Steel City and then it's like well where is that? You know you mm-hmm. look around the city and there's absolutely no evidence of it. Like there's no old cutlery works buildings really like obviously a lot of them have been turned into flats and stuff. Um but it's just the it really struck me like the power that developers have over the city as a whole, like even Mm -hmm. down to this pretty insignificant little practice space that we were running that was like really important to a handful of people. Like it it just felt like that exists on like much wider levels. And um, yeah, it it was just sort of like, what are you going to do about it? And they were like, or we can't do anything about it. Mm. Like there's no computer says no. Yeah, it's just sort of like you know, like there's a pl- like the planning's gone through before you even moved in. That's that they're going to knock it down. And to this day, it's still a car park. Like they flattened it, and it's just this car park. And there's nothing and there. There's nothing there. And you just walk past, and you're like, why is this still like that? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. What, like, <laughs> An added anger. Yeah. Like, who could, like imagine the people that could be it's so frustrating. Like, occupying that space and instead just flattened it for a car park like it's it's unbelievable like yeah the and, and space is a really interesting thing and that is like space in like kind of has no value in the same way as it has loads of value like landlords and people like that and and commercial agents are, are sort of fairly unwilling to give you space for free because it kind of it it, it implies that what you know it doesn't have any value if you get it for free and it's it's the similar like with food waste people at supermarkets like kfc or whoever won't just give you food that's going out because it's admitting that essentially it, it is worthless you know yeah but they have to they have to operate on this basis that it's worth loads of money because it's, it's where they make the money it's just like this really weird like backwards system that you know, I don't know. It just it's like a, a spell, and then if you break it, you realise that you're just adding yeah. all this value onto <laughs> stuff that like things fucking real, and we could all be much happier. <laughs> exactly. If yeah. you if you start like, we didn't, like make if you up start these... getting f- waste food for free, then yeah. <laughs> we didn't just have these like, made up concepts. Like maybe everyone could like eat food and like not be starving, and just like you know living in a decent house that's not like rotting or falling to the ground. But but yeah. It does. Can't break the spell, dude. Yeah, totally. Can't break the spell. Yeah. Interestingly, I've been reading that um, 
I re like reading it very slowly, but reading that uh, Utopia for Realists, and that sort of discusses um, universal basic income. Mm-hmm. It's basically the whole book is essentially like an argument for universal basic income, but it goes through it like on every like every point. It's like even if you're like the most staunch capitalist, this is still the best thing you can do. Like this still generates more money because mm-hmm. people are better off. Like you spend less money on have fewer social problems you spend less money on healthcare. you have less crime like even yeah. if you're like this mustache twiddling monopoly <laughs> man of a of a capitalist like this is still better than yeah. what we have now it's just like it yeah it's kind of infuriating okay comrades um <laughs> so i think we kind of covered delicious clam part one there part one yeah. um but i would be yeah because i've only known i only know part two, part two. well there you go yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll come on clam part heart. two but it would be interesting to know um your, your choice of movie what's your film is true romance uh it's one of my favorite films i absolutely bloody love it there you go yeah, Charlie hasn't seen it. <laughs> I've never seen it, so can we do a little... I've not seen any films, just like anyone listening to the podcast from now on, just know that I'm coming in fresh. Um, so I would love a little synopsis just so that I can like feel involved in the what I, what I What I remember from it, because it has been a while since I watched it, but I remember watching it and just being like... I think that's when I like was like, love's pretty cool, love's a pretty cool thing. Um, because it's basically right. just you do love love yeah. to be fair love is cool um and it's just basically this guy and he's a bit of a loner a bit of like um he's not he's not like a cool guy and then he ends up meeting this is she a prostitute ed she's a cool girl there's a very important distinction sorry in the film I'm very yeah where yeah yeah um she gets upset at the accusation so he meets um a call girl and they just fall in love like instantly don't they like, overnight and get like married the next wow. day married the next day wow. um and then it kind of turns into like a bonnie <laughs> and clyde free just i'm just guess a bit gangster. Yeah. yeah there's 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 a there's a confrontation like james gandolfini's in it yep tony soprano's in it there's a bit of a confrontation with some gangsters and basically they have to go on the run and that's, that's I think that's the premise of the film. Really, they they have to go on the yeah, run, and it's just sort of like, how much how much in love how in love they are. Yeah, they're really in love. And Christian Slate is this sort of like he loves comic books and loves like kung fu movies, and and sort of accidentally picks up a briefcase full of cocaine, and just uh, just manages to sell it all, but like is really cool about it, and he's just like w- winging it, and he just is like. I don't know. It's just mad. He he's just yeah. Just okay, that does story. sound good. That doesn't like sound like I put it on my watch. It's list. not. It's yeah. It is really good. It's not a Quentin Tarantino film. It's is it? He didn't direct it, but he's he. So he wrote it and he, he sold the he sold the screenplay to fund Reservoir Dogs. Ah, uh-huh. yeah. Um, arguably, I'd say I prefer True Romance as a as a film. To Reservoir Dogs. To Reservoir Dogs. I mean, yeah, Reservoir Dogs is bloody good, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Is he a bit weird now, though? Quentin, I mean, he's always been a bit weird, but 
Was there something? Really was there something about him? Allegations of him strangling his female leads whilst filming films. Uh, Uma Thurman and Diane Kruger. That was it. Yeah, and they it was they made the allegations, didn't they? Mm-hmm. So I, there's so a I... Guardian article, obviously from 2019, saying why it's time to cancel Quentin Tarantino. Okay, wants to do their research. So you you look like an absolute asshole now, Ed. <laughs> 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 Shit. No, but uh, no, because he only sold he sold the script, he sold didn't it? it. So well, he it was he wasn't it was involved. Made, it was made in better. It. Um, all all and all made, the better it for made it, despite him. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely mm. brilliant, but it's got a really, really amazing cast as well. I mean, Brad Pitt is in it just as this stoner who hangs out on the social. Yeah, God, I forgot about that character. That is Dennis, such a great Dennis character. Yeah, he's just like smoking bottle bongs and just like barely exists in that film. But he's just oh, right. It's Brad Pitt. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, like who are, I think like, that was James Gandolfini's um, like big thing before The Sopranos because he wasn't that was it? he wasn't that kind of revered as an actor before The Sopranos and I think that was kind of the main kind of focus before The Sopranos of his work. Right. Um, obviously a brilliant actor. I wondered that. Um, yeah. I, did I talk about The Sopranos loads last episode and I think I had to cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> Like it's not the first time it's been brought up, and it probably won't be the last. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. We we watched all the Sopranos in lockdown. Yeah, God, uh, so did I. Yeah, me and me and Ellie like started. It feels it. like it feels like such a long time ago. Like the other day, to Phoebe's was like, "Do you remember watching Sopranos?" Like it feels like yeah, years ago that we finished. I started calling it old lockdown, so I'm like, "Oh, do you remember in?" Old yeah. lockdown. Old lockdown. Like was... when everyone was watching Tiger King. Yeah. That feels like years and going ago. On house, <laughs> and house party. Remember house party? Yeah. <laughs> Who's using house party now? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Here we are still on Zoom. It's yeah. cool, man. Yeah. Zoom, what the fuck? Zoom, Where did Zoom come Zoom from? Where did Zoom come from? Because before old lockdown, <laughs> like, I did not know that. Skype must be fuming. Skype must be absolutely fuming. Yeah. <laughs> they, they were just like they saw lockdown. They were like, "Oh, we we got this. We got this market cornered, you know." Uh, and then everyone's just Don't like, worry, guys. "Zoom's pretty good." Zoom zoomed in, yeah. <laughs> Zoom's free, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, so, in terms of your film, because obviously it's things that have influenced you, it, films that have influenced you. So, it's not your favorite film; it's something that's had an, had an influence. So, is the influence just that you like always go back to it, or did it kind of like open up some other kind of uh, genre that you were into? What's why have you chosen that one? Yeah, it's a good question, and it's the, it's what I thought about the least. I think that um, I think that. Guy, the Christian Slater, like the main character, he just he doesn't give a fuck, and he just does what he really loves. Like essentially, he's a a loser. You know, like the film starts with him trying to chat someone up, and he's talking about kung fu movies, and he's really, really into it. And she's, and he's like, "Do you want to go watch? Like, there's a triple feature um, kung fu movie." And she's like, "You want to take me to see a kung fu movie?" And he's like, three kung fu movies." no way dude but then like meets um patricia arquette's character in like she she's sent there essentially um to meet him because his his workmates put up to uh, put her up to it 
and it's his birthday um and he just i don't know he just like loves all like what he loves you know like he just, yeah just, i love like, that yeah just doesn't give a shit at all and then you know yeah he he uh he finds out that she's a cold girl because she's like just honest with him because she's fallen in love with him they've just fallen in love with each other and then he's just like right so where's all your stuff like because you're not doing that anymore like obviously she's like don't worry about it like it's fine and he's like no i'm gonna go kill that guy and he just like <laughs> like does it i mean he's just like i don't know he's just i don't know there's like a straightforwardness yeah. that sounds like i mean it is super romantic in a really fucking like kind of weird roundabout quite dark way like but he just goes in and he sort of he plays it really cool even though you can you know that someone like that would be like absolutely shitting their pants you know he just like and the whole time he just like he plays it really cool just by being pretty genuine and, and just like pretty weird and like yeah there's like the, the sort of famous line from it, it's like you're so cool you're so cool and like he's obviously like you know yeah not that not considered guy. he's a not. cool guy yeah <laughs> yeah but there's yeah. something to be said isn't there about and i think it's a good i think i watched it when i was like 21 maybe i'm probably just after i split up with my first like serious girlfriend and at that age you are so kind of what's cool i need to just kind of just do do what's cool and there is some there is something nice to take solace out of um seeing a main character kind of come up good in a way that kind of is just doing doing life on his on his terms and yeah just not giving a shit that he's just really into like kung fu films and i think yeah in it like just sat sat watching those films on his own on his birthday cuz that's just what he, he loves, loves it, what he loves it. Yeah, yeah. yeah fair fucks yeah i love that yeah a guy who just likes <laughs> to do do his do his own thing i suppose that's a nice neat nice. little segue into you are so good at segues sam <laughs> um, i was i was when i was listening to the other episodes i was like i can't wait to see some of these parky segues <laughs> Great. I think it's like your thing now. You're so good at them. <laughs> but I suppose that maybe you you did take a bit of that on and um, doing your own mm. thing. And was, I suppose we kind of left off at the end of Delicious Clam Part One, which which one, yeah. which I'm here for part which two. Snowballed into a, a blessing in disguise, would you say, Ed? Because it snowballed into eventually getting your own. A bit bigger, better space, um, which you could definitely do more with as a as a space. Absolutely, yeah. I think uh, blessing in disguise is probably the perfect kind of way to describe it because, yeah, it was really annoying. But you know, in the same way as like the original space was kind of born out of necessity, it's the same with the second one. It was like, well, you know, we have to find somewhere now. Yeah, and um, yeah, like it. it it worked out quite well. Um, it took us ages, obviously, to get to find somewhere. I think it was like, say it took ages to find somewhere. I think it was like six months or so of just not having anywhere. Um, and then it took even longer to actually sort of get it to the point that we wanted it to be because I think I always look at those kind of things like it was basically, it used to be a hairdresser's uh, or wig, like a wig shop on the ground floor. 
hairdressers upstairs mm -hmm. and we kind of walked in and we're like is this even big enough to do a venue like, like where like where are the toilets going to go like, there aren't any toilets here like how is this even going to work and and we were just a bit, a bit like yeah i'm sure it'll be like this is the best thing we've that, seen so we should just yeah. go for it and like it wasn't you know it, it wasn't expensive like it was double what we were paying at the old place but there's a lot more space and um yeah i think i think there was a, a part of me that even in the old space was sort of thinking about the next one you know um there's like a lot of one of my the things i found most interesting about it was because i went to a gig there i can't remember what it was i think it was last year i saw uh mr ben and the bens there so i went to school with ben. oh really um, and also Sarah had just moved <laughs> <laughs> and Sarah had just moved there so I was like right double whammy can go and see the venue I can go and see Sarah and go and see this band um, and she took me upstairs and kind of showed me like what was up there and one of the things that really struck me was that even in making the space it was still like people that you knew like and that thing you said right at the beginning about the like the food hall like having people who had different bits of knowledge it seemed like you just had the right people like you had people you had like green man who could be do the electrics you had someone to do the um, I, i'm sorry i don't know who did like the carpenter stuff of it you had like the right people there didn't you so like even making so it was even it's even like part of the community and it's like very bones isn't it as yeah, well and we and we you know we had a lot of support around it like in general like whenever we sort of did a call out for people to come and help there was people who would turn up like a lot um yeah i i don't think i really recognized at the time like just how much work it was going to be yeah um yeah it was a shit ton of work <laughs> it was it was mad i remember um i've came down like maybe the second or third weekend and it was just we were. Sam, you got something in your eye. I remember you coming back. Oh, yeah. You, yeah, yeah, I was gonna. You had something really bad going on. <laughs> what was that stuff that we were like? We were like taking down a wall, and it was, it was like this. What's the? What's the I think you told that... me it was asbestos, but I wasn't. No, sure it wasn't. As, it was I, I got confused. It wasn't asbestos. It was the. <laughs> you know that filler. The, <laughs> you put it in in between walls, and it's like this fiberglass. That's it. Uh, oh yeah, some, there was shitloads of fiberglass in there, wasn't there? And I got a bit of that in my eye because you, you, to be fair, Ed, you did keep telling me to put on some goggles, and I was just like, "Nah, I'll be fine." <laughs> um, so that was totally my own. Wasn't fine. It was totally my own doing. No, I had like a real fucked up eye for a bit, but not the only person I imagine who's kind of suffered an injury for the for the sake of building that place up. Yeah, like there's so many times where, like, I think Danny summed it up really well like one of the first days that we went in and we were just like, you know, ripping down all this stuff from the ceiling. And he was like, why are we allowed to do this? And I was like, yeah, no, it's mad, isn't it? It wasn't there that, yeah. But it's also really, like, I was quite struck by how, like, nice looking a space it is, yeah, but really is as nice well. Nice. Like, I think you didn't just, I, my feeling was that you didn't just, like, throw it together. Like, it looks really nice as well doesn't it that's maybe what took all the time actually. yeah i think there's some like aesthetic time yeah. that was spent as well <laughs> arguing over shades of gray and <laughs> yeah <laughs> how should we stay in this wood <laughs> probably all been to diy spaces that you know you feel a bit grotty after coming out of but that's fine but delicious clam isn't one of those 
venues. No. It, it generally it, it is like a, a really good music venue, even down to I mean, the 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 thing that I just found hilarious was that you and Callum had actually even tiled in the toilets. Like you'd done all the tiling. <laughs> <laughs> like it was so nice. It does look so good. Well, say say that say that um, you know COVID is out of COVID's never happened. What what was what was like a, a typical night at the Clam like before this all happened? I don't know. I mean, because my main experience of Clam is doing the sound. Um, so yeah, we have a lot of fun and. I think that people generally enjoy themselves and it's quite loud and sweaty. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, that's kind of it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's quite hectic. It's like, bit, it's chaotic and it's really, really small. And we've had, you know, I think the biggest band in terms of mem- like band numbers of people on stage we've had was when Crack Cloud played and it's like nine of them. Was it and only just, nine that time, like, was it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that um like, you know, thinking about sort of sa- safer spaces agreements, it's like everyone agrees to that. And so like yeah, we we do have responsibility um to a certain extent. And I think that, that becomes clearer like if you have you know bad things happen there you're like oh shit like we we have to be more responsible about this like we've we've been like thinking more about um like good night out training which is like how to they're like a really good organization that do lots of training for like bars and clubs on like how to be sort of actively um you're like actively against like harassment and sexual mm-hmm. assault in I've heard about this. Yeah. yeah. And they so they run like training and like accreditation and like there is that kind of obviously there's the element of like, yeah, you know, if that kind of like if anyone says anything then like everyone will sort it out. But and like there is that kind of like joint responsibility, I guess, but it's interesting thinking more about it that yeah, like I guess that the DIY kind of element of it moves on when you, it opens up and sort of to a, to, an, to to someone who doesn't know the backstory, we just be like, "What's this crappy little bar in town?" Mm. You know, like, and we kind of welcome obviously brand new people coming in who wouldn't necessarily engage with that kind of environment before, and like, we don't want it to be exclusive. So, like, we'd actively encourage that, but I guess that opens it up in the same way to like people being there who don't kind of understand, understand that like, ethos yeah like, right so or aren't used to being in that that's ethos, yeah like kind of a permissiveness that comes with having a drink isn't absolutely yeah so i agree with what you're saying like if you keep those boundaries really strict in your space then people are less likely to push them so even though the responsibility is on the people being there if you're saying like no this is what we stand yeah. for that like there's less of that yeah and I, I feel and like sort of, you know it's sort of like we we hadn't really for instance like put together like a safer spaces agreement until uh someone was like i i felt uncomfortable like you have like we should do something about this like you should take this more seriously and like we adapted one from i think like diy space for london or like uh, wolf chambers or something and like i guess there's like yeah those kind of 
things that you never thought about having to really worry about you know like all of a sudden it does at every kind of step like it feels more formalized and With like great power comes sure great still, like, you know. <laughs> yeah. but i think that is i think there's also like a so often like those kind of music venue spaces can be quite like dude heavy can't they mm, as well yeah. and so i think it is a what i noticed about it is that it didn't feel like that it did feel like quite welcoming um but also i think you're by putting that stuff in place you're saying not only are we like uh having this ethos like on the ground of being like anyone can come in you're saying we actively like build to the front we want get let's mm-hmm. let's get more women in let's get more people who wouldn't normally attend this kind of venue and so i think that's really important as well i think like um for me one of the one of the important things for Clam that I'd like to hope that we've helped encourage, or like one of the things that I'd like to hope we've achieved is in like removing as many barriers to entry into either making or performing mm-hmm. music. Which is, you know, the, again, it's sort of like the studio aspect of it. We'd never considered that. To, be anything like a job or like a full like a career or anything like me Callum or whoever else uses that studio that's not the intention of it It, the the sort of original intention was that we would have um you know we'd have this space that anyone could use and it wouldn't cost very much money and it would just cover its costs and and it would just trying to encourage people to come and feel comfortable to like make music or like just do whatever the fuck they want to do and like I think that if that's if we can achieve that, then I'm kind of happy, you know. So we come on to the final choice. Um, yeah, so the song is uh, Every Penny Fed Car by Modest Mouse, which um, I think that partly, like, Modest Mouse is just, like, such a constant theme in my life. I just really freaking love that band. And, um, yeah, I, it's it's... Again, it's really tough to even pick like one Modest Mars song because like as a band they're just so varied. Yeah. And they have a huge catalogue of music. Like but yeah, I think this song in particular probably kind of informed my own music in, in in quite a big way. Like I think that so I did a I did a band with Lou Curry and Harry Plumer, both of other amazing bands and yeah. I, I think I think this song, I guess, for me, quite like influential to that. You took the words out. You band. took the words out of my mouth because I was going. I've heard the song before and then went back t- to listen to it, and I was like, "Oh my god, Fun Buster totally ripped off this song." <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you didn't. Ow, owie! But, but, well, I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't going to say it in those words, <laughs> but you know, you're not wrong. No, but. Um, but I mean, it says what song has influenced you, and so yeah. influ- you know. No, I'm dry- yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm being very um, divisive, of course, but it, <laughs> the yeah, the the similarities between this tune and the kind of like fun buster is is really there. But what when did this song come out? What what kind of? So yeah, I, <clears throat> I've also been doing my research because I I realised I didn't know anything about yeah album I'd, I'd always like made the assumption that it was essentially the first modest mouse album and it's from an album called sad sappy sucker and 
yeah, when I saw it on Spotify, it says it came out in 2001. So obviously got on Wikipedia, didn't know anything about it. And it was like a really early, if not like one of the first albums that they recorded and they just shelved it. And it came out at that time off the back of the success of like an album before. Um, but it just sounds like a first album. Yeah, like, it, it has sounds all so raw. Like it sounds, it album, sounds incredible. I, I guess I made that assumption. It's really raw. It's, it's really like, it's really kind of, again, like I don't like using this term about every, Every single thing, but it's very DIY. It's really lo-fi. <laughs> There's a theme to this. <laughs> uh, I wonder how many times that we've said DIY in this fucking podcast. Yeah, no. <laughs> maybe we would do a a ding a ding counter every time. <laughs> we could edit that in. Um, um, yeah, and and also what I didn't realise is that um, it was produced by Calvin Johnson and went out on uh, K Records. And had I known that, I would have fanboyed much harder when I met Calvin Johnson when he played at Slam. And I would have just chewed his ear off about Modest Mouse for probably the whole time. Um, so maybe for the best. Maybe for the best. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in, I mean, it was interesting, like, because, you know, going back to sort of, you know, showing people around the studio and people being, like, pleasantly surprised when they go up there, like, oh, my God, like, it looks pretty cool and, like, you know, we it's nice to have that when bands come and you're like, come check out the studio and everyone's always really like, Wow, like this is cool and, and and you get to share that with people and you know, obviously it's always nice hearing compliments. So, you know, someone being like, This is cool. Um, but yeah, Calvin Johnson came and like we go and do a live session which is yet to be edited and wow. released. Um but he he was just like really like like nonchalant about it and like of all the people like you really kind of wanted him to be like hey guys like this space is really cool yeah, yeah like, didn't, <laughs> didn't give you that validate <laughs> me please <laughs> please say i'm cool <laughs> so yeah again probably for the best probably for the best that i didn't know that yeah. he recorded that if you're uh, listening calvin johnson send delicious clam a dm saying that you think they're really cool <laughs> <laughs> just one one compliment will do Thumbs up, emoji five. We'll take <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> we need it. Um, but yeah, I think I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to. I think one song is it's a tough one, and like I think that there's a lot. Like there's so much music that gets you to a certain point, and and like I guess to pinpoint that is quite hard. But it, like as far as songs and like as far as albums go, like, like you can feel like the energy in that song. Like you can. And it has all like of the kind of uh, traits of like punk music that I really used to like, you know, starts off really fast and then there's like a breakdown, like half half tempo. And it's like um, just like really a really simple song with about two lines of lyrics. And yeah, and it just gets to it at the end. And then it's like and that's it. That's the end of the song. Like it, I think it's I think for a long time I wasn't listening to music that didn't have like a kind of um traditional song structure you're very used to like intro first chorus first middle middle eight, yeah like you know solo yeah. maybe depends how you feel it um <laughs> Love a and solo. It, i think just like even just realizing that you don't have to do that is you know 
is a really big deal at some point you're like oh you don't have to you don't it doesn't even have to be three and a half minutes long like that album has just got really weird bits of you know like um answer phone recordings and just like it's a bit silly and i think um yeah i think modest mouse is like one of those bands that kind of clever but without being smug about it when i moved to sheffield uh and met jack collister i said that i like modest mouse and he he was like i love modest mouse and just showed <laughs> me like the whole back catalog and yeah i remember like because he used song. to have to work hard for the back catalog didn't you yeah. like before spotify you couldn't you didn't just scroll back. You had to do properly put your research. If you in, wanted to be into music yeah, yeah. back um, in the day, you really had to put in the hours. <laughs> you had to graft. Yeah. Exactly. It was like a job. Right. Yeah. And, then, you know, I feel like there's a weird period between, like, all your favourite record shops shutting down and Spotify existing where that became actually pretty difficult. Like, yeah. before you just go into a record shop, you'd speak to the person at the counter and you'd say, I really love this band. Like, what should I listen to? And you'd have a great conversation with them and they'd recommend some stuff you'd buy it take it home and absolutely rinse it yeah yeah yeah. and yeah. like read all the liner notes and like you just just sit and listen to it and just like that's that was your activity and i was mine was those um compilation cds so like enemy would do one like q magazine would do one and so i used to buy those from hmv go home, listen to it. And if I liked a song, then I'd like research the artist. Mm, yeah, yeah. But like you said, Sam, it's, it was effort. Do you know what I mean? You're not, you're yeah. not just logging into Spotify and scrolling back. Going to no discover every band, every us. band in enemy radar section, like going to their MySpace page. Yeah. <laughs> and like listen. Yeah. Yeah. It was graft. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, it's removed, it's kind of removed like, uh, you know, the, the excitement that you get from speaking to someone and being like, oh, have you heard of this album? And they're like, no. They're like, yeah, this album exists. And they're like, what? Yeah. Because now it's just like, yeah, obviously it's on Spotify. So I can just scroll through the whole back catalogue. And and yeah, I, I often wonder if that kind of removes like a little bit of the magic from it. Like, yeah, I feel you used to earn, yeah, right. You used to have to like earn new bands, or you used to have to like earn, or like in a conversation if someone else knew the same band as you, it's like a big deal because they'd done the same amount of work, yeah, yeah. Whereas now, literally, you listen to an album and it's like, oh, artist radar, and then they play similar artists for you. There's no effort, yeah. I think it's just it. also like amazing, but yeah, that is, yeah, I mean, it's like convenient in a, in a different way. Like, yeah. I think it's pushed people to more extremes now, though, as well. So, if like someone's into music now, like there's probably loads of bands around now that you know everyone's just heard of because of like social media and Spotify, or whatever, which who would be kind of cool bands back in the day. So, so now everyone's like, yeah, man, I'm actually just listening to this like Nigerian funk artist from like the 50s, like it's really cool. <laughs> you've got to get super yeah, niche, yeah. really go for it. <laughs> Which is also yeah, like great. That. that does sound good, though, yeah, Sam. that's also great stuff. I don't know if <laughs> funk was around in the 50s, actually, but... Uh... That's one of my favourite things. Again, like, on our first one, Sam, we talked about, like, getting older and, like, how, like, your interactions change and, like, you become more, like, kind of a bit more, like, I think authentic without sounding wanky. And I think that's one of my friends, the things about getting older is, like, people are less guest gatekeeper about stuff that they love. They're like, I know you, I love you, and therefore I know that you will also love this thing. People are sharing a bit more, aren't they? I think I, I feel fully like, um, yeah, I get that thing as well that you're talking about, about just caring less as well, because like you don't care about if someone thinks you're cool because you've like named a certain band. 
because you're just like well i really love this like yeah, yeah. You know, that's like way more important than like i hope you think i'm cool because i like things that you've never heard of <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um what be- what beautiful choices really really nice choices and i'm glad that i actually had um some valuable input on all these choices um unlike previous yeah i mean when 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 you said to me like oh that's good because i've actually heard of all those unlike the previous ones i thought like fuck you're definitely going to know more about a lot of these things now i'm talking about like your real handmaid's tale and like (laughs) fucking can't remember a thing about it (laughs) but i hate that like hierarchy of knowledge like i always say i hate it you don't have to know all the facts about something to love it and i get it sometimes when people talk about albums or back they talk about bands and they're like oh do you love like oh the fourth track on the second album and i'm like i don't know what that is i just know that i listened to it and i I really felt something and i don't know the name of the lead singer i don't know what the guitar pedal they're using yeah i I listened to the song it resonated with i think that's what we want this to be more kind of like just people chatting about things that have just kind of had an effect on them and kind of and in in Mm -hmm. in any kind of way that's kind of like shaped them rather than being like you know super like analytical and super like whatever (laughs) it's not it's not about that it's just kind of hopefully just it's just it's just a nice format to chat to people i think and like open up a conversation yeah i think it's uh it's yeah you're right it's a good uh like all of those things are like absolute like amazing conversation starters aren't they yeah yeah like like always yeah yeah uh, well it's meant to kind of be like a like a chat in the pub isn't it and also you don't often get to ask your close friends or people who are doing really cool stuff oh like what songs influenced you the most mm. i think it's a really like really specific nice space to find out that about people isn't it yeah totally like i'm actually also buzzed for sam's episode because i want to know yeah yeah what, yeah totally what thinking. books influence sam the most <laughs> yeah. i have to do some thinking yeah, no gonna, pressure yeah. you're not gonna escape this right <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no getting out of this. <laughs> <All right here. laughs> um, well, I think I think we've been talking for a long time now, and a long time. That's been, <laughs> it's been really, it's been really it's a DIY about a thousand <laughs> times. <laughs> no, it's been really great. It's been, and we we kind of knew it would be really interesting. Thanks for coming on, Ed. It's been we've really, I've really enjoyed myself. It's been so good. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been lovely. Yeah, yeah. it's it's like. Yeah, when again, like when you're like, you know, it won't take up too much of your Friday night. Like, <laughs> that's just so meaningless right now, isn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah, I had loads of plans. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I actually got loads of other stuff to do. So <laughs> we finished by nine, please. Um, but yeah, if people want to kind of find out about Food Hall, we'll, um, I, I imagine just Google it. That's um, always a good tip. Yeah, food, well, food, food hall Sheffield. We'll, you know we'll post some links. We'll post some links to food hall and um, delicious clam and and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, if anyone does want to know more about them, they're really cool shit. And that's what we're trying to you know get people to know more about Promote. cool stuff that's happening mm-hmm. and hopefully inspire people to do, maybe maybe even do some cool shit yourself if you want to. Maybe. Try it yourself. Yeah. Actually, there's there's plenty of cool shit. Now, <laughs> yeah, so, like, leave it out. Can people like, stop doing? Guys, sorry, we're doing the cool <laughs> shit. So could you oh, just leave the space to us? Yeah. <laughs> it's quite exclusive. <laughs> um, well, thanks, Ed. It's, it's been really nice catching up with you. Um, it's been such a treat. Thanks, guys. Yeah. yeah. It's been nice to see you both. Too.
So yeah, thanks to Ed um, for coming on and chatting to us about loads of cool shit, food hall and delicious clam. Very interesting subjects we spoke about there, Charlie, I think. And just like creating a community and like being part of one, wasn't it? Which I really respected. Yeah. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Um, so next week we're talking to... Oh, I'll let you, I'll let you introduce... Well, give a little... Next, we were talking to Lanks, who works for an organisation called Manchester Cares. Um, so it's about tackling isolation between our, primarily with our older neighbours in our community. Um, but she's also just a really interesting girl and I'm really excited to have her on. Brilliant. Yeah, me too. As always, if you're enjoying the podcast, what do they need to do? They need to follow <laughs> us, subscribe. Look- subscribe link in bio write a review <laughs> if you want to write a review yeah just tell your friends as well tell your friends yeah just tell your friends um and we'll we'll see you all next time thanks for listening again Bye.